Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Amen. We are none surprised by the sweet, powerful presence of the Lord. Because the scripture says he's our counselor. And he's our comforter. Amen. It is Emmanuel, God with us. And that's what we feel today. And we're here to, as it's already been stated, this is exactly where Sister Jennifer would want us to be. And this is exactly what she'd be wanting us to do. So we're not trying to have church in spite of. We're not trying to have church over the top of. Because there is a palatable sorrow here, rightfully so. Amen. But I felt like early this morning that the Lord laid something on my heart. That this service today is to help us as a church to begin to heal. The memorial service, as soon as that is planned... No arrangements have been made, but when that has been made, when they've had time to do that, you'll know that. But when the memorial service for Sister Jennifer is held, that will be an opportunity for our community to heal. But we can't help them heal until we start healing. And so today, God has given us a space of grace in which his spirit can touch us. And frankly... If nothing was said beyond this very moment, a healing has, has begun, a healing in our heart, amen. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to join me in the book of Mark, chapter four. It's not my intention to take a long time today, and it's not my intention to come to this pulpit with the answer, perhaps not even an answer, but I do bring to you today what I feel like the Lord has given me for this day. The book of Mark chapter 4 and verse number 35. And for many this is a very familiar passage of scripture. The Bible says in verse 35, Mark 4, And the same day when even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. When they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he, which is Jesus, and he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. 
Amen. Let's ask God to let his word just touch our heart today. We love you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for such a sweet, powerful, and real presence that we feel. I'm asking you this morning, Lord, to let this word find a place in our heart. Let it find a place in our minds. And I pray that you will speak to us today. Speak to us sweetly as you've been moving already in this service. In your name we pray. Amen. And you can be seated. Thank you for your worship and your praise and having our musicians and our praise team done a marvelous job today to help us and we appreciate them so very, very much. Much prayer has been offered on their behalf. The book of Mark chapter 4 and verse 38 poses an honest question. It's not a question that we have often had the nerve to ask out loud, but it is a question that seems at times to vex our inner soul. But at its purest and in its most honest form, it is just that. It is an honest cry. It's a glimpse into the window of a person's heart that desperately wants to hold on to their faith and keep their faith intact. But despite their best efforts, it seems at times difficult to maintain. And so if we're honest, the question that is posed in Mark chapter four, verse 38, Master, carest thou not? We perish. If we're honest, it's a question that we've all asked. It's been asked countless times and it's been asked from a myriad of platforms. From a maternity ward, families weep over a stillborn child and in their heart they ask, carest thou not? From an emergency room, a mother and a father stand stunned by the news of a child or a loved one and they ask, carest thou not? Husbands and wives ask the same questions as their companions are taken away. It's a question that children ask adults when sorrow comes in like a flood. And so against the backdrop of this unexplainable pain, this question makes its way past the most faith-filled hearts and the most faith-filled lips. It's a burning question. Carest thou not? I realize that in our text today that this question is posed in the fashion of and somewhat bound up or bookended by the King James jargon. We say the same thing. We just say it differently. We would say, why me? Why my child? Why my family? Or why now? Nevertheless, the end result is the same as those men on that boat that day and that one who had the courage to say what was on his mind, carest thou not? A timeless question. We may just ask Jesus, do you care? That's been asked by, I would suppose, I, I try to steer away from broad statements and broad brushes, but I would think I'm fairly safe in saying that this is a question that has been asked by most people that have ever walked on this planet. It's been asked by presidents and factory workers alike. It's been asked by the rich and by the poor, by the, by the educated and by the unlearned. 
There's never perhaps been a soul that hasn't wrestled with that question, do you care? Whether spoken or in thought, we have all been pressed into the corner of where our faith was tried to its extreme maximum. In Mark chapter four, the winds howled and the seas raged and life for them seemed to be over. And in that moment of wavering faith, and I think I'm safe to say that, in that moment of wavering faith, these disciples had the courage to vocalize their fear. It was no longer just a thought on their mind. It was no longer just whispers among their private group. It was no longer just pain in their heart. They said it and they said it out loud. As a matter of fact, if you consider the circumstances of the moment, if we could freeze the frame of that for just a few moments, I think we can safely say with the waves in the picture and with the wind howling in the picture, I don't think it was a question they just asked. I think it was something they screamed to the top of their voice. Do you not care? Carest thou not that we perish? Do you not understand or do you not see the distress that we're in? I think there's several different responses that the Lord could have made and I'm not being presumptuous this morning that I would know the mind of God but there certainly are several different responses that the Lord could have made at this moment or could have done. He could have just continued to sleep. He could have just told them to be quiet. He could have angrily dismissed them and the storm. He could have shamed them and the list I'm sure could be added to but he didn't do any of that. With all the patience that only a person that truly cares could do, he answered the question. He was not insulted. He was not off-put. He didn't think they were being sacrilegious. He didn't think they were being carnal. He thought they were being human, very human. And so if we zoom in on their response, we see something that would otherwise be missed. Jesus wasn't simply going to answer that question in that moment. And so he wanted everything to be quiet. So he stilled the storm by just simply saying, peace be still. He was hushing the crowd. He was quieting the surroundings. He was bringing at rapt attention all the environment because he wasn't about to ask or answer rather a question for the moment. He was about to answer the question for the ages. As a matter of fact, he's still answering that question for us today. He was stepping past beyond the longitude and the latitude of, of Mark chapter four. Once and for all, Jesus was going to settle the stinging question that has haunted the thoughts of countless people, believers and unbelievers alike. Thoughts like, where is God when I hurt? How could something like this happen? I suppose the short answer to the question would be just this. He was listening. He heard their cry. He responded to the circumstances at hand. You know, many times we have all been on a phone call with someone and, and uh, you know, maybe the person on the other end, especially if it's kind of a long phone call, the person on the other end kind of goes silent. If I'm ever in that situation and somebody's talking, I try to be intentional about clearing my throat every now and then or just making a noise. 
I want them to know that I'm still there. But there have been times in the absence, in the absence of those small reassurances that I myself, just like you this morning, have, have had to just pause whatever we were saying and we would ask the question, are you still there? We know that phone calls can get dropped, so it's not that we're insulted. We're just trying to make sure that the person that we're talking to is still there, to which more than one time the person on the other end would say, yes, I'm still here. I'm just listening. I'm doing what you called. I'm doing what you wanted. I'm here. I'm just listening. They had not checked out. They had not grown uninterested. They had not moved on. They were just merely doing what they thought was the intention of the phone call to begin with. We called them because we needed somebody to listen. In the scriptures, just prior to where we started reading this morning in, in Mark 4 and 35, in the scriptures that would have preceded them, Jesus had been teaching his disciples, but he had been teaching them from the land. And, um, and it was in this setting we could perhaps try to picture this in our mind. When Jesus was on the land teaching them, it was a lecturer-student approach. He was expounding to them and to all that would listen the truths of his word, teaching. Now, however, he was gonna take that lesson from the page and bring it to life with an object lesson. It would be a dangerous test but no one was gonna lose their life. As a matter of fact, nobody was even gonna get harmed. Wet, perhaps. Scared, no doubt. But nobody's gonna lose their life and nobody's gonna get harmed. But God wanted to give them a practical test to see just how much they had retained. Romans 10 and 17 says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God and never doubt that it's in the hearing of God's word. It's the hearing of his word. It is so important because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so I believe it is vitally important to hear the word of God. I'm thankful that we live in an age that we have the Bible digitized and we have so many different sources and resources that are available to us. I love to just ride down the road and listen to the scripture play through the stereo system in my automobile because I understand some principle that faith comes by hearing. And there's just something about hearing the word of God. Those nights when it seems that I am fretful and sleep is far, far removed. I wanna slip an earbud in my ear and just turn on the word of God. Amen, I wanna fall asleep to that word. And oh, what a... What a treasure it is to just wake up to that word still playing, still being rehearsed because faith comes by hearing. It's, it's the hearing of God's word. There, that's the intention of producing faith. But faith, in order for faith to be true faith, it has to be tested faith. Untested faith is like an untested bridge. It may look good, but somebody has to drive across it. It may, it may seem as though everything is in place, but at some point, the river is gonna need to rise 
and it's gonna have to test the strength of the pillows that hold it up. It can't just look right. It can't just look well in the backdrop of a picture. It's got to do what it is intended to do. And so for faith to be true faith, it has to be tested faith. As a matter of fact, the writer of the book of James, James himself said that faith without works is dead. So we can't just talk about some things. We've got to stand up and put that in motion. So it's not enough for us to merely be taught to, re to repeat something that we have heard, to be trained to just somehow parrot the word of God. Amen, I appreciate people that can commit the word of the Lord to memory and to heart and can stand up and quote scriptures. And I have friends that seems like they could quote everything from Genesis to the maps and there's a part of me that really envies that. But you see, it's not just enough to retain something so that we can rehearse it when we're called upon or on cue. The word is what David said must be hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Not just something committed to my memory. I need the word of God hidden in my heart. And so I've got to know that then for my faith to be true faith is going to be tested faith and that means faith that's been put to work. It's not enough to just say it. We also must practice that lesson of faith. Amen. That's one reason why God permits trials to come in our lives. Because you see, you can't partially trust someone or something. Because if you say, I sort of trust them, what you really are saying is I don't trust them. You can't partially trust. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna cross I'm not gonna cross a bridge that I think will hold. I'm not gonna walk somewhere that I think will support and sustain me because if I don't fully trust, then I don't trust. And so I must allow the Lord to take my hand, lead me down paths sometimes that I don't understand. Trials that prove the trueness of his word. There's something very important, I think, for us to understand about this narrative, and that is this. That while they were on the dry land, safe and sound and dry, it was Jesus who said, come now, let us go to the other side. It was Jesus who knew that in order to get to the other side, they would have to get in ships. It was not just one ship. There were with him many other little ships, the scripture said. In order for us to get to the other side, for the crowd, for everybody to get to the other side, then we must board a ship and we must cross this body of water. And so I would submit to you today that Jesus knew, just like he knew they needed to get to the other side, Jesus knew the storm was coming because he is the master of the tempest. In fact, the storm was simply part two of that day's curriculum. It would help the disciples understand a lesson that they didn't even know they needed to learn. And the lesson is this, that you can trust him even when the storms of life are blowing the hardest. This was not a storm that left Jesus perplexed. This was not a storm that when they woke him up, he saw the dark clouds for the first time. He knew about part two. Some people have the idea that 
you know, storms come in people's lives or come in their lives because they've got sin in their life or there's some measure of disobedience and God has taken some circumstance to whip them back into a line. If that were the situation, I don't think we would be serving a just God and a fair God, even though we do see instances of that in scripture. Amen, that, you know, we, we find even that moment of accusatory uh, support that was coming from the friends of Job. Even some people that apparently had the key to his life thought that must, there must be something wrong. Job, his well-meaning friends thought for sure there must be sin in his life, but that's not always the case. Of course, as I mentioned, there are examples of that in scripture. For instance, Jonah ended up in a storm because of his disobedience. But that was not the case with the disciples in Mark 4, not at all. In fact, the disciples were in this storm because of their obedience. They were in this storm because he said, come now, let us go across to the other side. Everybody load up. They're in this storm because they obeyed the word of God and were walking in his perfect will. He said, let us pass over. The storm described here must have been especially fierce because if we think about it, that many of those men that were close followers of the Lord were fishermen by trade. And so this was not their first time on the water, not their first time in a storm. And so I would suggest to you today that this was not the average storm if these men thought for sure we're gonna lose their life. However, veiled behind the fierceness of this storm were some very good reasons to trust. And so I would say to us today that veiled behind the fierceness of this storm are some very good reasons to keep trusting. The first reason is the fact that Jesus is still leading the way he said, let us go to the other side. He is the giver of all things, including life and death. He didn't say, come with me and let's go part of the way and see how this works. The invitation was to go all the way. And so this was his idea. He's leading this path. Along with the leading voice of God, we have the guiding hand of God. And so we are so blessed with his enabling power. God doesn't call us to something and then not enable us to do the task at hand, even though the task at hand may not be easy and the trip may not be short. He did promise a guaranteed arrival. Second, the Lord himself was with them. They had already seen his power. He had demonstrated his power with so many Miracles, so many signs have been done at the work of the hand of God. So this alone should have perhaps solidified their confidence that he could handle this situation. But, but you see, despite all that he had done in, the, in their midst in the past, they lacked the understanding that he was the master of every situation. They knew he could heal blinded eyes and raise the lame and raise the dead and he could feed 5,000 and the list could go on and on. But they did not know he possessed this kind of power 
And proof of that is right there in our text. Because when it was all said and done, those same men who had their hands in the miracles that were taking place said among themselves, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now we would think things like leprosy or things like blindness or deafness, while that would be the tall mountain in their life, but he healed all of that and they still didn't realize that he wasn't in control of just some things. He was in control of all things. He's not in control sometimes. He's in control all the time. He can't handle just some situations, but he can handle any situation. And I feel the healing hand of God in this service today that is saying to us, I'm not here just sometimes. I'm not just here every now and then. I'm here today. I was with you yesterday. And here's our grand hope. I'll still be with you tomorrow. And I'll be with you the next day. And I'll be with you when we crest the next hill. And I will be what you see when you make the next bend in the road. I am there. I am listening. It wasn't or it isn't rather wrong for us to wonder if God can, especially if we've never been in a certain place. But just because we've never been there doesn't mean he's limited. It's just that we've never been there. He's been there many times, many times. I've shared portion of this story before, but many years ago, I felt like we were making one of the most critical decisions ministerially that we had ever made. I wasn't foolish enough to think that no one had ever been where we were, but you sure can feel all alone when you're standing in a spot like that. I felt led of the Lord in prayer to call a man that was probably a thousand miles away and when I began to share with him where I was and what I thought I should do, the, some of the very first words he said, he said, Brother Boyd, if you could look down in the sand, you would see my footprints because 30 some odd years ago, I stood where you're standing. I knew in, a, in an instant that I'm not trying, I'm not talking to somebody that's just trying to wrap their mind around my situation. I'm not talking to somebody who's thumbing through a how-to book as we speak. <laughs> trying to come up with some answer. Some of you in this room this morning are old enough to remember computers coming into our lives when we had to spend a lot more time on, on tech support phone calls than any of us would want to dare admit. <laughs> and there's nothing more disconcerting than being online with a tech support and you hear them flipping the pages of the manual. You know they're trying to figure it out too. At the same time, there's 
few things more comforting than for you to almost not even be able to end your sentence when somebody skilled on the other end says, this is exactly what you need to do. What they're trying to say is, I've been right where you are. And that man said, I've stood where you're standing. And what Jesus was saying this day is, I'm here. I'm here. Amen. Just because we haven't, or just because we have stepped into uncharted water is no sign that Jesus is not in control. And Jesus was so confident in where they were, not to sound trite, but he was so confident in where they were that he went to sleep. This wasn't God unconcerned. This wasn't God being cavalier. This wasn't God being egotistical. This wasn't God being arrogant. This was God being God. He slept in the storm because he was truly secure. Psalms 4 and 8, the psalmist David said, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. This is what I will do, Lord. I will lay me down in peace and in sleep. How often in the middle of life's trials are we prone to mimic the faithless disciples and we cry out, Jesus, do you care? Of course he cares. I'm gonna ask our musicians to come, if you will. Jesus arose in this story of Mark 4, rebuke the storm. The Bible says immediately, a great calm. But Jesus didn't just stop by calming the elements. It was the greatest the most dangerous perhaps day of their lives or so they thought. But the Lord realized that I can't just stop by calming the storm and the, and, the, and the waves because the greatest danger was not the wind and the waves. The greatest danger was unbelief. The greatest danger was the spirit of the seed, let me just say, of doubt. The greatest danger is for the enemy to plant a wedge in our heart that Jesus may have let us down or that Jesus may have disappointed us. And so he didn't just steal the winds and the sea, but he stealed their hearts. And our greatest problems are within us and not around us. And I think we would agree with that. And that explains why Jesus called them men of little faith. He wasn't trying to shame them. It was to remind them. They had heard him teach the word. They had seen him perform miracles. And yet they still had room for their faith to grow. There's still room. There's still room to grow. There's still time to trust me. There's still an opportunity to trust me. And so today the Lord would not walk through this house, your home or your heart, and say ye of little faith, to try to belittle you or tear you down. But when our faith wiggles, it's a reminder that there's still room for me to grow and I can trust him and he's gonna help me to grow. Would you stand with me? It was their unbelief that caused their fear and their fear made them question whether or not Jesus really cared it's what 
It's what the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 3 and 12 called this. He said, an evil heart of unbelief. An evil heart. Unbelief and evil to be in the same sentence. Sobering. This was only one of many lessons that Jesus would teach his disciples in the familiar surroundings of the Sea of Galilee. Each lesson was going to reveal yet another layer of an, another unspeakable immeasurable truth they already knew that he had the authority and the ability to forgive sins and cast out devils and heal all manner of diseases and now they went home that night with the knowledge that he can steal the wind and the sea with just his voice they discovered a brand new dimension of the Lord you know should we pass this microphone around this audience today I believe that almost everyone could talk about a moment when you discovered yet another dimension of God. But you would have never found that dimension if you had not been standing in the circumstances that gave you that education. Amen, now they know. Now they know that the Lord was in constant control and he is still in control today. Yesterday, um, a very close pastor friend of mine, he knows this family and has been in this pulpit. And I had been texting him about what we were facing and certainly asking him for prayer. And in a little while, after we had been texting for a little while, there was a long, long pause. And then he sent me this message. Real life struggles hit at the bindings of our faith where God and his purpose lie. This is where human belief is intertwined with his purpose. Amen. And so that gift I give to you today because there's so much truth right there. So much truth. It's where these worlds merge together. And so today we trust you, Lord. We believe you, Lord. <laughs> We're not ignoring the, so the sorrow. We're not ignoring the loss. We're not trying to have church over the top of everything that's wrong in our life. But we just want you to know, Lord, we understand that when these worlds meet, our ways and thoughts are not always yours. But you've given us a chance to grow. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 
or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.